Hi, I'm Thomas Chia from Aviva Singh Life, where I get paid to do web development and not paid to host podcasts. Some may say I was talent spotted for this podcast, but you could say I was enlisted the same way you were for NS. Hi, I'm Steph. I'm a social engagement executive at Aviva Singh Life. I'm here to balance Thomas's dead pan energy. This is... Wake up your idea! The podcast that teaches NS men how to be a woke non-salary man. Today's episode is for all you listeners wondering which universities to apply to and whether or not to apply for an overseas university. We've invited Lynn, our product manager and marketer at SingLife, to share about her ex- university experience in the University of Bristol, where she took a degree in sociology. And she's also here to share about how she chose the degree and university as a graduate of Dunham High School. Hi Lynn, welcome to the show. Let's start off with a quick question. If you were a NSF, what's the first thing you would do after you ORD? Hi, everybody. Um, I actually thought about this in the context of COVID and pre-COVID. So if it was pre-COVID, I think what I'd do is that I would try to celebrate my freedom in the best way possible. So I would go to like Bali and then live it up. But now in COVID times, I guess just maybe have a dinner or like a staycation. I see Lloyd's in giving me a lot of ads and free giveaways. So I suppose, I guess I'll go to Lloyd's. So all local. Very patriotic. Very patriotic, yeah. Okay, so what was the the thought process behind going to an overseas university after taking your A-levels locally? So my dad was, at his time, one of the first to be educated in England and subsequently take a master's in, in the University of Pennsylvania. So I just saw what that had done for him. Our house was always filled with guests that were from all over the world. I mean, part of that was because he worked in an MNC, but also part of that was that he grew up with very diverse and ethnically diverse friend groups. And I think looking at my seniors who went to local uni, I would just see that it was an extension of the A-level life. Whereas I saw the draw of like overseas being able to mix with more diverse groups of people, not necessarily so all the time, but I wanted a different experience, number one. And number two, I didn't want a repeat of my A-level life. I didn't want to be like a statistic on the bell curve. And I just saw what that did to my seniors and I didn't want that. So I thought, okay, let me apply overseas. So your dad obviously played a role in that. What was the conversation like with your parents? uh, And how do you go about choosing your university of choice? Okay, I think I got a caveat first that obviously I'm from some level of privilege, right? To be able to go overseas. Mm -hmm. So you either go overseas on an actual scholarship or you go overseas on an MFA, which is mother-father assistance, right? So I'm the latter. So I I do have to caveat that the reason why I have choice is Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm very aware that I have privilege, but when I actually had this conversation with my parents, my dad was very supportive of me mm-hmm. going overseas, obviously. He was the youngest of nine children, and my grandmother and grandfather had worked at least two jobs each just mm-hmm. to provide for the entire family. And then I think by the time my dad was of age to go to university, they had all the leftover money could be given yeah. to him. So then he could go overseas and I think he was very supportive because he said that he used to work in like a bread factory in England Mm. to make ends meet he went to archaeological excavation trips Mm. and because he volunteered as a cook so in 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 different parts of like Italy so he kind of wanted that experience from me Mm. and so he was very supportive but my mom was very emotional about it so Mm. when I mean emotional it's like 
she would say that I want to like shout your name from another part of the house and have mm-hmm. you answer. I would just miss that back and forth. But to be fair though, she didn't really shout my name very often at home. But I think she she I yeah. think it was her way of saying that I would really miss you. And yeah. I don't mean to be reductive about the Asian mother fear thing, but she had a very familiar fear of like, oh, my daughter is going to go overseas right. and she's going to meet an exotic foreigner <laughs> and then she's going to find a, a, a job overseas yeah. and she's never going to come back. Right. So I better stop this. I would better like nip this in the butt. Right. But in lesser words, she was like, don't go because I want to call your name right. and I want you to answer. And I was like, you can still call me via Skype and I will answer. That My parents had mixed reactions. But I think yeah. my mom had to go along with it because my dad was already like very eager and her reasoning next to his sounded more irrational, I think. Right. A little bit more about maybe your university of choice. How is that process like? How do you go about choosing the particular university? For me, it was very much about legacies. And I think there's asymmetrical information because as an NS man, you really don't know very many universities beyond where your friends go, where your parents go, or like yeah. Cambridge, Oxford, who administered your test, A-level test papers. So my, my dad was from Bristol. And coincidentally, my best friend got into law in Bristol. So it was almost decided for me already. I had very little information and my grades were not good at what about you, Steph? What made you decide to attend a local university? My pull to going to a local university was out of taking dance classes outside and just realizing that all the dances from classes outside are all from a certain university. So uh, the choice was quite obvious. So as a student, I was a part-time student in, in uni, a full-time dancer. That was the joke. <laughs> Okay, moving on to okay, moving on to your experiences during university itself. Here's a juicy question: What is your absolute worst uni experience? Question to both Lin and Steph. Honestly, I don't think I had a bad memory, or uh, other than staying in the hostel and have people steal your laundry. But other than that, I had a really good time. That's terrible. I hope you had other close friends. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did. My absolute worst experience was in my second year. I had never had roommates before in my life and just thought roommates were a cool idea. I just so happened to meet these two dentist friends from my old hall and my best friend and I, we decided to room with these two people. We knew close to nothing about these two people and we were like, let's go find a house. Never house hunted before. Our property agents who take charge of student rentals in UK are extremely predatory. They are also perpetually pissed with students, so they refuse to fix any of the leaks, any of the like old mold. They take months and months. So finding a house was very refreshing and experience. So a lot of the houses that we saw were like old English houses, which meant that you had like four rooms and like one toilet. And this toilet is like both a toilet and a bathtub. And can you imagine, two are dentists, one is a lawyer. So three people are competing for the toilet on a cold winter's day for 9am lecture. That was an experience. And it was an experience because we had never experienced roommate drama before. So there were things like they would buy crates and crates of onions and carrots. And our kitchen was like really small, okay? And then they, because they wanted to save money, they would buy one crate of onions, one crate of potatoes, one crate of carrots, and then they would leave it in our kitchen. <laughs> As a result, <laughs> the kitchen was perpetually overflowing. And we didn't think that, okay, we have a jurisdiction in the, in the fridge, so split the fridge into quarters, and then all of us 
have one quarter of the space. No, bro. Yeah, you know Chinese got a lot of sauces, right? We got like oyster sauce, pepper. Yeah. And we need a place to put all of our sauces, like miso paste and stuff. But then the whole fridge was full. And then they often left carrots rotting because you can't finish one oh, carton by the use by day. And they wouldn't throw away their moldy carrots. So, okay, then number one. Number two, experience people eating our stuff. So, it's obviously not <laughs> like eating our expensive chocolates. Um, humans or, you know, rodents? <laughs> well, valid question. Valid question. Um, it was in the fridge, okay. like crammed in between four layers of like old produce okay. and old yogurt. And then it would, they were expensive chocolates that we would go and buy from like uh, chocolate deal that we cannot get in Singapore and then they would half the box would be gone over the weekend and we wouldn't understand why there are no rodents in the fridge so by inference <laughs> we either had like a very bad people problem or a pest control problem or we had <laughs> some supernatural problem in the house okay some specter was we had food okay and then it started to get progressively worse because when we were wanting to go home for summer holidays, found out that my roommate's luggage was like missing. And then we found out that maybe the ghost or the rodent <laughs> had taken her luggage in the storeroom and went off. And then I think like at that point of time, they were so, so stricken. And we were like, oh my gosh, we never experienced this jurisdiction problem. We never experienced stealing like that. We thought you're our friend. Okay, pro tip also, we had to choose rooms, but because we weren't there, we were in Singapore during the summer holidays, they chose the biggest rooms for themselves. And then we came home and my best friend had the option of the room next to the road. And a lot of these drunken students like walk very, very, very close to your very paper thin walls that are old and non-insulated. And so she was like, you can either choose the room beside the road, beside the front door, or you can choose the room upstairs, the single room which can only fit literally one single bit and cannot even fit your luggage. So then she chose the one single bit and I ended up in the road. So, I mean, I used to, at, eight, at like nine o'clock at night, I turned off, I used to turn off my lights so that uh, the drunken people, by uh, pre-drinking was a real thing. So like by 9 p.m. people end up so trash because they didn't want to pay for drinks in the club. So at nine o'clock, they see Thomas is like giggling right now because he understands this freshy <laughs> culture. You know, they'd be like, get chunder at 9 p.m. They walk really near my window and I would feel so afraid that they would do something rash that I would turn off my room light so that they would not think that anybody's home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, that's my worst university I, experience. I had, a, I had an experience like that. In my first year, I lived on the second floor and I had a roommate towards this, the summer period. We were sleeping one night and uh, we had the window open because it was pretty warm. And a guy crawled up into our room through the window. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Fell, fell in and stood up. He looked at us. Oh my goodness. And he was like, I'm sorry, I lost my way. And <laughs> oh ran dear. out the door. Oh dear. <laughs> I don't think we're painting a very good picture of overseas, overseas life, mean, right? Worst, we are talking about worst experiences. We are asking so. that, yes. But I think that just sort of made us, like made me smarter eventually of how to choose roommates mm. and that actually what I learned was that your friend cannot yeah. be your roommate or cannot be your workmate because friends are fundamentally they have very different habits working habits living habits and I think the classic example is like the dirty dishes conundrum right like right. 
some people can live with dirty dishes for seven days. So they do this thing called piling, which means that they leave their dirty dishes mm. in winter because it doesn't smell in the sink for seven days. And that's their threshold for hygiene, right? But then there are some people, me, that have a very adverse reaction when I see dirty dishes. And then I grow very bitter, right? Because it's like, because I cannot stand this, I will wash all the dishes all the time. Then I became like a dishwasher right. and they couldn't pronounce my name. So my name, full name is Ziling. And I used to, they can't pronounce it. They go, like, what, what's your name? I like Ziling. It's like ceiling. Now I'm like, that sounds nothing like my name. And then because I kept washing the dishes, one day, one fine drunk night, they came back and they were like, hi, cleaning. Oh dear. So, I mean, I was like, all right, I think I should stop washing your dishes. Fascinating though. <laughs> I had seven roommates at one point. Oh my god. <laughs> seven. Seven roommates. Not so housemates. Is that mean seven crates of carrots? No. Holy I, was, cow. I was not as lucky. Yeah, I didn't have that snack. But it was it was really cramped. But was a great like kampong spirit, I would say. Mm. Because all of us did different classes. We came back at different points of the day. So it almost felt like a relay system of whoever's in the room. And the table was very common use. It was like hot desking. My bed was also like hot desking. Like people, they needed to rest. We also have like basic like hygiene understanding. There's a code, there's a vague code. And we are like, okay. Uh, but usually my, my roommates were always very uh, respectful. And then we had, this was by the way, not allowed, but we had like mattresses and they would just hang out between classes. Because if you stayed all the way in like Pasiris and NTUs all the way the other side and you're only here for like a one hour class and you have like four hour break mm-hmm. sometimes they come back and nap and it's very sense I had a great time I had a kampong experience with uh, seven of us speaking of toilets like it really sucks if you run out of toilet paper and you get very angry with your housemates because you can't believe how fast they use toilet paper you just bought nine pieces of toilet roll how do you guys figure out like who pays what yeah so we were very bad at operations so what ended up happening was that we would buy something and then it would end up common Mm. with our own money and I, i come from a culture where people are very generous yeah we don't count for food we don't count for right all these small things and we didn't complain when our milk or our cereal went missing even though we never took their crates of carrots or onions or potatoes. But then we would be really surprised because they, like for dinner, dinner nights, they would buy like Sainsbury's basics, um, some spaghetti sauce or spaghetti. And then at the end of the day, they would tell us it's, we had to pay them two pounds and 56p. So I think how we figured out was that we just figured out that we had very different cultures yeah. and the way that we account for money is fundamentally different. And I think we didn't know better, so we just accommodated. Yeah. But then after that, we knew that, oh my gosh, actually different cultures have different ways of handling money. And before we become roommates, yeah. I should at least find this out first. Right. Yeah, so subsequently, my other roommates were very respectful. We had this like bowl where every week we put te- a 10 pound. Yeah. So anything that's common, whether that's toilet roll, milk, mm. oil, you would take yeah. uh, from this common pool. And that really eliminated a lot of attention felt. Yeah, little things like this we don't realize, but it's a, it's a people education when you go to university as well. You're in very different phases of your life, and it's about the journey. It's about the journey. It is about. So, um, did you have any roommate problems overseas? And I, I think I had some. I wouldn't say that they were they were very bad. Uh, the 
the, the most stressful thing for me was that I used to go to sleep quite early and I still do. And <laughs> like how early are we talking? Like 10, 10 30. And I was very sensitive to noise downstairs. Then it was stressing me out. And the, reason <laughs> I, the reason I went to sleep early is because I had uh, a swim training the next morning uh, quite early. So that's the reason why. But you have that mindset of I have to wake up early, therefore I have to go to sleep early. It kind of makes it worse when there are things that are disturbing. But in terms of the things that you mentioned, like food and shared toilet paper and stuff like that, I can't remember what we did, but I don't remember that being a problem. So then I think this is probably something our listeners would be quite interested to hear from you. What would you say was the largest takeaway that you wouldn't have had if you attended a local university? I think it would have to be, I'll I'll bring it back to the point I said previously, which was the diversity of friendships. And I thought I loved Singapore a lot and I felt very patriotic because I would sing Mandula Singapura every time there's a National Day Parade. But one of my best friends in uni, he told me that he took a gap year. In my mind, a gap year is like gallivanting around Iceland on a bicycle maybe, but eventually hoping that you will find uh, your reason for existence and therefore what you want to study. So I said, what did you take a gap year for? He was from Libya. And he said, I took a gap year to fight in the revolution. And I was like, huh? I said, what What revolution? <laughs> and he said, I come from a country called Libya. And we used to have a dictator called Gaddafi, who used to lord over Libya and torture all his political opponents or kill them silently. And he said that his mother was a woman advocate for political freedom and democracy within Libya. And at that point of time, I don't know if you've heard about this movement called the Arab Spring. Uh, This happened in Tunisia where a fruit seller set himself on fire because he was just, they were just facing very bad, poor economic conditions with a lot of unemployment. And that singular act of setting himself on fire in Tunisia then set off um, political revolutions in Egypt and subsequently Libya who had been under oppression for such a long time. So he started off in his city. And what happened was that he told me that they took over the military base in his city and basically sur- like lay siege to the military base and eventually forced all the soldiers, Gaddafi's troops out, and then took all of his weapons and hopped into his jeep to go to the next city to continue the revolution. So he did that for a year and eventually they overthrew Gaddafi and he was saying that they found Gaddafi in the sewers and the last thing that Gaddafi was holding was this golden gun because he had so many illusions of grandeur and he loved his riches and, and whatnot. And so he said, I, that's what I did for a year. And I said, weren't you afraid that in your gap year that you were going to die? And he said that all of us are going to die. So I choose to die for something that's worthwhile. And I was like, bro, I thought I sing Majula, I damn good to my country already. Like, I think NS boys will have a completely different understanding of what it means to protect your country, right? As well, and would resonate with this. But I got to meet people like my friend. And I also met like my, one of my best friends was a spoken word poet. And she's Ugandan English. And essentially, she used to tell me, you know why we have such a different understanding of like Beyonce or Aaliyah? And why as... Because I thought Beyonce and Aaliyah and all of these people were very, very beautiful. And she said, do you know that their hair is fake? And I was like, huh? What do you mean fake hair? And she said that, oh, do you know that our hair, like, it's very coarse. So what you need to do is you wear this thing called a weave. So you spend anywhere from 500 pounds to 2,000 pounds, depending on the quality of your hair, to get fake hair that looks like a white woman. And she said that my hair is, like, kinky and black. And when I was younger, my father 
sent me to a prep school um, in London because he wanted to give me a better life. So my mom was working as a cleaner and he was working as, as an object laborer and he knew that he wanted me to get an education. So he worked really hard, sent me to a prep school, a grammar school. And in that grammar school, he wanted me to be as, as kind of like quote unquote white as possible. So he would make me wear like, I, I think it's called softener. Like if you put it on your skin, right, it burns so what, what this means is that they put it on their hair and the chemical is so strong that it breaks the chemical bonds that make your hair kinky. So essentially, it straightens your hair. And what had happened was that she also had very dry skin. So one, one of the days, she put this softener on her hand and it burned so badly that when she wiped it off, she had an entire patch of like white. And that was what she had to put on her head every day because her father wanted her to have neat hair or like look like a white girl. And I think that was what she explained was her struggle. She always struggled with beauty. She said, I don't understand myself in this country. The only place that I've ever seen myself in the media is like on Oxfam ads. And Oxfam is a charity, by the way. So I go to these university parties and they're so overly sexualized and people are like, this person's fit, that person's fit. But I, I grew up in such a white, predominantly white society. But the mind-blowing thing is I do not know fundamentally if I'm good looking or not. Mm -hmm. Am I good looking? Am I pretty? Am I hot? Am I... Yeah, yeah because I, I haven't just... I just just haven't seen pictures of myself I mean notwithstanding Naomi Campbell but yeah so meeting such a diversity of, of people really really opened my eyes and I think it made me in terms question things like nation nationalism mm. beauty being a majority versus a minority and what privilege that grants me and then I think just being generally very grateful for my country that I mean, my, my friend used to sleep outside his house so that he could protect his mom and he would hold an AK-47 and defend his mother. So, I mean, I just took all those things for granted. And I don't think that I would have had such a rich experience had I gone to a local uni. Thanks for coming on the show, Lynn. Thank you for having me. Okay, gentlemen, thank you for another one times good one. You can follow us at SingLife on Instagram and feel free to reach me at gentleman at singlife.com. That's Golf Echo November November Echo Romeo Mike Alpha November at singlife.com. See you next one, guys.